So tonight we're going to talk about partial faith or little faith. O ye, <clears throat> excuse me, O ye of little faith. And the text is found in 2 Kings chapter 13. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 13. Bless you. Okay, so let me read to you just a little bit and then we'll get started. Let's start our reading. Start our reading. In verse 10. So in the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned 16 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin, but walked in them. Skip down to verse 14. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, really this is Jehoash, they just call him that for short, that's his nickname. Jehoash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elijah said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek. Till you have destroyed them. Then he said take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel. Strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And said you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria. Till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elisha died. And they buried him. That ends the reading. So at the end of the reading, Elisha, the great prophet of Israel, had passed on. So this is the time when the, the kingdom was split. There was a northern kingdom that had ten tribes in it, and it was called Israel. And there was a southern kingdom, and it was called Judah. And it had Judah and Benjamin in it. Two little a little tribe of Benjamin, the big tribe of Judah. So you had the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. This thing split when Solomon's sons split and civil war started, basically. Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the two sons of Solomon, and they split the thing up. Jeroboam said, you know, if I don't change the way they worship, these people will be going back to the Temple Mount, and before long it will be one kingdom again. And so he started his own worship system, in Samaria, and he created some golden calves, two of them. And he had the people worship these golden calves. This is the sin of Jeroboam. And he did it for political reasons, to keep Israel from ever being reunited. He was afraid if it reunited, 
that Rehoboam would end up being his, his brother, would be in charge, and he would be killed. So for whatever reasons, that's what happened. Now, fast forward many generations, and you have this Jehoash, and he's an evil king. He follows after those same principles that Jeroboam had set up. And he's worshiping these golden calves, and he's worshiping in Samaria, and he's not worshiping the true God of Israel the way God had asked to be worshipped, expected to be worshipped. Add into this story the fact that the northern kingdom Israel was in a tremendous conflict with Syria. Syria had invaded. Syria was controlling a lot of the territory of the northern kingdom Israel. And Israel was constantly at war with Syria. Add to that mix, Israel fought occasionally with their brothers down in Judah. So you don't go very far past chapter 13. You go into chapter 14. There's a big war with Judah. So Israel's fighting with everybody. And that's not a good way to, uh, to grow your national economy or to, to increase the wealth of your citizens or to increase the safety and prosperity of your citizens. They're fighting all the time. And it was part of their curse. But... To their credit and, and to their benefit and one of the blessings of God, he had a man in Israel, Elisha. Now, does anybody remember anything about Elisha? It's sometimes we get that mixed up with Elijah. Elijah, Elisha. And we remember, <clears throat> we remember them. Elijah is the one who went up in the chariot of fire, right? And Elisha was the one that asked for a double portion of his mantle. He asked, God, would you please give me double whatever it was that you put on Elijah? When Elijah went up, it's a great story. You can find it in 2 Kings chapter 2. Elisha's trying to follow him. Elijah keeps putting him off and trying to get him to stay. Elisha won't stay. He said, wherever you go, I'm going. And here comes this chariot down with horses, and Elisha couldn't go there. And so he screams out after Elijah, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horses. Second Kings chapter 2. And what does that mean? Well, that's a great compliment. In that day, Israel didn't have a whole lot of chariots. They were a, a, a mountainous people. They had some plains and they had some lowlands, but they never had a lot of chariots. The Philistines had chariots. The Syrians had chariots. Having a chariot was like having a battle tank. And then horses. But if you remember in Psalm 20, chapter 8, the Bible says some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we remember the name of the Lord our God. We remember the name of the Lord. And the name of the Lord in His Word was so prevalent and came out of Elisha so frequently that the compliment that the king paid to Elisha, the same compliment that Elisha had paid to his friend Elijah, was, oh, dear prophet of God, dear brother, your words from the Lord are worth more than all the chariots and horses of Israel. You are the strength of Israel. So as wicked as... Jehoahaz was, Jehoash, excuse me, 
he still had a great deal of respect, obviously, from the text, for Elijah and what Elijah had done in Israel. Now, it had been a long time. You have to go all the way back to uh, four chapters, to 2 Kings chapter 9. You don't have to go there. But Elisha had actually appointed one of the sons of the prophets to go and anoint Jehu as king of Israel. Now Jehu in these four chapters had lived out his life and others had lived out their lives and it had been 40 years since the text had mentioned Elisha again. It had been 40 years. Now most scholars believe Elisha served somewhere between 53 and 57 years. But there was 40 years of silence in the text. And you didn't hear from him. That doesn't mean he wasn't active. It, it certainly doesn't mean that Jehoash didn't know about him because Jehoash only served 16 years. But Elisha was near death. In fact, when you read the text and you follow what we were doing, we talked about the text and, and uh, the striking the ground incident. And then the next thing you see is Elisha's angry. Then Elisha died in verse 20. So he's basically on his deathbed. He was sick from the disease from which he would die. Verse 14. When the king comes to see him, and the king supplicates himself and puts himself down and humbles himself and says, Father, Father, oh, the horsemen and the chariots of Israel. And he's basically just throwing himself at the mercy of Elijah. He's scared. He's not a godly man. He's not a strong believer. But he did have great respect for this prophet. And he was full of fear of what would happen to the nation and him and his lineage if Elisha was to check on out and go to glory and leave him here with the Syrians. That was the problem. He was full of fear. But not so much faith. He was full of fear. I don't know if we ever operate like that. Where we operate out of fear and, 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 and the faith is kind of a small thing. I don't know if we're ever looking at the waves instead of the Lord. But clearly here, <clears throat> Joash was. Now, there's some interesting things that happen here. So he says, oh my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And in 15, Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So Elisha kind of rears up on his bed. He's sick. He don't have long. And he gets up on his bed and he's kind of paying attention. He's being very gracious to this king. And you know, he's representing the Lord there. <clears throat> I would say that even though Jehoash was a compromising king and he was a disobedient king, Exodus 34, 6 is still true. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. As the Lord moved in front of Moses, when Moses wanted to see his glory, in Exodus it tells of this account where he puts Moses in this place in the rock and he comes and stands beside him and then he passes by him in his glory. Now how does that happen? How do you stand by Moses and proclaim the name of the Lord while you're passing by Moses? Well, Jesus did it. Pre-incarnate. 
the Lord Jesus standing by Moses, talking about the Father as he walks by, proclaiming the name, the Lord, the Lord God. And, and Moses only got to see the hind view of the Lord. He couldn't look at him in his face, of course. But that was an awesome thing. But God never changes. I am the Lord. I changeth not. And so his mercy endures forever to all generations. And he was merciful to Jehoash. He was merciful. And so he showed mercy. And so he rose up through his prophet and he spoke these words to him. And he looked at him. He fixed his gaze on him. Elisha did. He said, get a bow and some arrows. Well, Jehoash was thrilled. He was getting some attention. He didn't know what he was going to get. He was going to get a word. And he said, put your hand on the bow. And then the old prophet took his hands. I can just see him shaking and, and he put his hands on Jehoash's hands, on the bow. Well, now that was obviously, I mean, it's obvious even to me, that God was going to use that to convey some power, something important, through the hands of Jehoash and that bow. This is one of those Captain Obvious moments. Yes, this is happening. Surely Jehoash knew this. Open the window. Shoot the arrow to the eastern window. In the east was where the Syrians were the most problematic. They had taken a lot of territory. So he shoots that arrow to it. And when he did that, Elisha made the statement to him. He said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Strike until you have destroyed them. And then he makes an unusual request. He says, get your remaining arrows and strike the ground. And this is where it starts to fall apart. This is where Jehoash strikes the ground. How many times did he strike? Why didn't he strike a little more than three? Bible doesn't say. Why, why didn't he strike a little more than three? You think he was tired? Maybe they were heavy and he could only pick them up three times. In. Why didn't he strike more than three? Does anybody... You know what? I think his discernment his discernment cup, his spiritual discernment cup was less than half full. I think he had walked away from the Lord so long. And his family and the generations of those Samaritans, Samaritans had been so co-opted by their false religion that he had no real understanding of the ways of God. He knew a man of God but he didn't understand the deeper things of God at all and had no idea of the ways of God. I think his discernment was lacking. I think you're right. He didn't know what he was doing. He did not know what he was doing. I also think to the extent that he was able to know, he didn't believe a whole lot. It looked to me like he was humoring 
a dying old man. And I'll do just enough that it looks like I'm in the game and maybe it will honor him. But I don't really believe this mumbo-jumbo. I, you know, I just, here, I'll just, three times. There we go, we're good. And Elijah gets mad. Now, you know, he's on his deathbed and he's near death. And he's going to have one fit of righteous indignation and anger before he goes on. And he rises up with what's left of him in the fear of the Lord, in the power of the Lord's might, and he rebukes Joash for his unbelief and his lack of discernment. And the fact that he had let the whole nation of Israel down because of the careless treatment of the Word of God. Because the man of God was speaking the word of God to the king. And when the king took the word of God from the man of God so lightly, it caused the man of God to rise up and be angry at the way the word of God was treated. And how carelessly it was handled. And how flippantly it was executed. Now, history will bear it out and and the scriptures will show it that Israel actually defeated the Syrians three times. And around the same time, if you care to go back and and read about this a little later, in early part of chapter 13, Jehoash's father had been promised there would be a deliverer that would come that would save them from Syria. And he doesn't name the deliverer, but about that time an Assyrian king rose up and started attacking Syria from the other side. Completely distracted the Syrians. They went and fought that way and got destroyed. So within about 100 years, we come up on 722 B.C. Now some very important things happened in 722 B.C. Anybody care to hazard a thought on that? 722 B.C. Assyrians. Israel. Okay. Well, that's when the Assyrian army comes and invades Israel and takes the whole nation captive and hauls them off. And it's over for the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. It's done. And when I say it's done, I mean it's done. Now, a little later, the Babylonians come and they take off the kingdom of Judah and they take them into captivity for 70 years. They're in captivity, and then they come back. A remnant comes back and restores the land. And that's when you have Ezra and Nehemiah in that time frame. But the Assyrians took the ten tribes from the north in Israel and intermingled them through their people and crossbred them forcefully. And so diluted the blood of the Jews that when the thing was over and the Assyrians were no more, The people that came back were a half-breed, mixed lot that had no real religion that was comparable to what the Jews had. And they continued to honor the traditions of their former elders and they went back to that mountain where that golden calf had been and they worshipped the Lord the best they knew how on that mountain. But as a a nation and as a people and able to trace their lineages back to Abraham, that was no more. It was gone. It was completely destroyed. 
Thank goodness that the tribe of Judah was able to keep their lineages intact and bring them back home to Jerusalem and restore the ancient roles because Jesus was able to trace his lineage two ways. In Matthew, through his daddy, and in Luke, through his mother. Back to David. Back to Abraham. Back to Adam. And the lineage was intact. But do you know within 70 years of Jesus' crucifixion, Titus came in, the conquering general of the Roman army, and they surrounded Jerusalem, and they built up siege mounds around the city, huge walls of, of mud and, and, and pointed sticks, and nobody could get out of that siege. They had encaps, encircled the city. They killed over 2 million Jews. Titus said, don't burn the city. Especially don't burn the temple. Because the inside of the temple was covered in what? And Romans is, is especially fond of gold. And they said, do not burn the temple. Because the walls of the temple were cedar from Lebanon. Anybody ever throw a Christmas tree on a fire? And on top of the cedar was beaten gold. When the fire came and the temple burned and the gold melted, it ran down into the cracks of the rocks. And the Romans, to get after the gold, overturned all the rocks with their big instruments, their engineering instruments and oxen and big cranes and prize bars and no stone was left on another. And moreover, the roles and the lineages which had been kept for generations were destroyed. And so no Jew today can tell you and prove their lineage. They haven't been able to for 2,000 years. And so the time of a Messiah being able to trace his lineage back to David is gone. It left in 70 AD with Titus. Did you know that? We're done here. There's no more lineage back to David. No more opportunity for a Messiah to tell you he's the son of David. Oh. So in 722, when the Assyrians came, who were worse than the Syrians, so the Assyrians are actually the Persian people, what we would call Iran today. I don't know if you guys have ever had any trouble with Iran, but they're still out there. They're an ancient people. They're very resilient. And they made a lot of trouble for Israel. They completely destroyed those ten tribes. And so the only two tribes you could count on going forward was the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. It's the only ones they had records for. What was I? What were we talking about? Well, I will tell you, he missed his opportunity. Jeho Jehoash did. To save Israel. And he struck three times. And we, we talked about it being a lack of faith. And clearly a lack of discernment. I, I love the. Uh, talk about discernment. My favorite discernment verse. Is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 verse 32. They were getting ready to anoint David. King of all Israel. Saul was dead. And they brought the armies in. They were going to make a big show of it. And there was a chronicler that writes about all the different 
orders of battle and all the tribes and all the men of war that they brought to crown David king. And in Chronicles 12, 32, he says, of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times. Some versions say discerning of the times. To know what Israel ought to do. How cool would it have been if Jehoash had discerned the times and knew what Israel ought to do? Man, I would have hit those arrows on the ground. I don't know, till I had splintered the arrows. Because he said, strike the Syrians at Aphek till they are no more. It had to pull me away from those arrows. I'd have been striking those arrows on the ground until there were just little splintered stubs of them left. You would like to think that would be you. We would all be doing it that way. When you start looking at partial faith and the tragic outcome of partial faith, let me give you a few more names and let's see if you remember any of these. What about the children of Israel? In Numbers chapter 13, when they gathered at Kadesh Barnea and Moses sent the spies into the land. What happened then? Well, the spies came back. And there were ten of them that said, no way, can't go, shouldn't do it. And there were two spies that said, we're good. God said we can do it. Let's go do it. Do you remember the names of the two spies? Joshua and Caleb. Do you remember the names of the ten? I don't either. And no one ever will. They're history. They gave such a bad report back. And what about the nation of Israel? What happened? What happened after that? They believed the report of the ten instead of the two. And the whole nation was guilty of partial faith and unbelief. The whole nation. And what did God do? He let them go for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, you know, he blessed them along the way. There were blessings in the wilderness. There, were, there, were, there was manna from heaven. There were quail. Their clothes didn't wear out and their shoes didn't wear out. I mean, they didn't have to go shop at Walmart or or anywhere, for any shoes or any clothes, they didn't, have to, they didn't have to go on Saturdays to Walmart or nothing. So they were blessed. But it was a 40-year funeral. Anybody been to a funeral that lasted 40 years? It was a 40-year funeral. That's what happened. You talk about the Trail of Tears. The Cherokee have got nothing on the Hebrews. Even worse, the Hebrews did it to themselves. It's not only there. Let's talk about Luke chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, when the angel Gabriel shows up and talks to this guy named Zacharias while he's serving in the temple. You know, <clears throat> you might serve your entire life priestly career and get to go in and do what Zacharias did one time and you talk about the way God knows the planning of, of the motions and everything that's happening it was Zacharias's time inside and he sees this angel Gabriel and the Gabriel tells him that he's going to have a son that his aging wife is going to, Elizabeth is going to have a son 
and he's going to name him John. You know what Zacharias did? Mr. Priest, Mr. Leader of Israel, you know what he did? He asked for a sign. Because the Jews, you know, the Jews, they'll ask for a sign. He said, how do I know this is true? How do I know this is true? You know what my man Gabriel did? Struck him silent. I love, I love that. We're just going to have to read it. I can't do it as well as Gabriel. You can almost see the righteous indignation in this angel. You can almost see it boiling up. Luke chapter 1. I don't do this often. Let's Luke chapter 1. We'll go there real quick. Here we are and in, in verse 18. Let's just go back a little bit. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. In verse 13, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. So he's been praying about this. He's been praying. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. So here you go. Here's a great faith. You've been praying about something. An angel shows up and tells you you're going to have it. And you ask him for a sign. <clears throat> Things to not do. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. You will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Wow. That's a great testimony. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. That's a mouthful. Gabriel just told him. Here's my man Zacharias. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? <laughs> How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife, bless her heart, is well advanced in years. Wow, and the angel answered. Wow, look at this. In 19, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And was sent to speak to you. You scumbag. And bring you these glad tidings. But behold. You will be mute. And not able to speak. Until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words. Which will be fulfilled. In their own time. There's going to be joy about this baby. But you Zacharias are going to keep your mouth shut. There's going to be rejoicing about this baby, but you, Zacharias, are going to keep your mouth shut. What did Zacharias' lack of faith do to him? It put him in timeout, didn't it? Spiritual timeout. What about Jesus' disciples? What was one of his favorite pet names for them? Oh, ye of... Yeah, that's those boys. Oh, ye of little faith. What about the storm? Matthew 14, let's go there. Matthew 14, verse 22. I love this story. I love to meditate on this story. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat 
and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I love Peter. So so Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know what I like to do when I meditate? I like to ask, what if? I don't think that's wrong to ask, what if? What if Peter hadn't been afraid? What if Peter hadn't lost faith? Can you think of this with me? Now, these boats weren't like little rowboats. They had high walls, seven, eight, nine feet out of the water. It took some work for him to get out of the boat and get down in the water. i got to give him credit. It was a storm. It was contrary wind. You see these paintings of the water, and it's kind of like little ripples on the lake. Uh-uh, no. No, it was not that. It was waves crashing on him. Probably what happened is a wave crashed over him and just about drowned him, and that's when he lost... I mean, he was probably handling the stuff hitting his knees. Water might have been cold. He, when one washed up to his belly button, he might Woo, I'm still good. We're good. But when that thing hit him, what if he had not faltered in his faith? He, he faltered in his faith. What if he hadn't took his eye? What if? What would have happened? Come on. The Bible doesn't say. We're just speculating now. This, this is probably dangerous. What would have happened? He would have, he would have never sunk. And after, I don't know, another 30 seconds, another minute, another two minutes, who knows how long, these two guys, they called them the sons of thunder. Might have said, I'm next. I'm going now. Look at Peter. He's doing great. He's getting all the glory. Lord, can I come? Think about it. Dave, these boys competed over everything. Peter's out here having all the fun. He's having faith. Lord, how about me and John? Can we come? Come on, James. Bring it. Woo! Come on out. We're going. Look at me. You guys, come on. Jesus doing all this. We could have had a water party in the middle of the sea. Why not? If one fisherman can walk a little bit in faith, couldn't all of them have had a water party? You see these guys, they put these plastic bags together and they put water on them, they water slide way down them. Look at this water slide, Lord, you won't believe this. And just go. 
Think of the party they would have had. Think of the fun worshiping. It didn't have to all be so serious. They already thought he was a ghost. They were already scared to death. Now Peter's out walking on the water. What if he had just hung in there for five more minutes? All of those rascals would have been out of the boat. They probably would have lost their boat because nobody would have had enough sense to drop the anchor. We're just going to walk the rest of the way in, Lord. You ever meditate like that? No, never? It's probably best. I like that story. What if Peter hadn't blown it? You've got to give him credit. Nobody else has walked on water that we know of. And I'll be through here in a second. Little faith. We didn't suffer from little faith. We would experience greater victory over the enemy in our lives. We wouldn't stop at three knocks with the bundle of arrows. When the spies came back with a good report, it didn't matter what they said, we were taking the word of God. that We can go do it. And we can conquer these people that think we look like grasshoppers. We wouldn't be struck mute in the middle of everybody else celebrating like Zacharias. Our blessings would come as full and complete blessings. We wouldn't rob ourselves of the joy of the blessing because we're actually able to get into the blessing and participate because our faith has enabled it. We could grow even closer to the Lord and enjoy His fellowship in the middle of the storm. We could all get out of the boat and all go to Him and praise Him right there. They worshipped Him when He got back in the boat. How cool would it have been if they had all been out there in the water worshipping Him? Now that's pretty cool. Maybe there wasn't a water party. Okay, I'll give you that. But what if they had worshipped Him out there? Just everybody on their face in the water. Lord, I'm drowning down here worshipping You. Could you do something about that? We miss so many things when we fail to exercise our faith. And dear Lord God, I am thankful that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the essence of things that aren't seen. Lord, and you told us that if we have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, we can say to this mountain, be moved, and it will be moved. As we consider our own lives and how we give in to fear, would you help us remember that faith it's what gives the victory. Faith enriches the blessing. And faith increases the fellowship. As we go out tonight, I pray for this bunch of believers, my brothers, my sisters, that you would increase their faith so that they could worship you in spirit and truth and be as bold as lions. In Jesus' name, amen.